and I get this call that you got to find strippers for Rascal Flats, and, <laughs> you know, and I did it. <laughs> Somehow I pulled it off, you know. Hey guys, welcome back to Freecast. My name is Rob Murray. I am your host, and Freecast is brought to you by the Free Press Media and recorded at the KMSU studios on the campus of Minnesota State University, Mankato. My guest today is Eric Jones, a man I've known ever since our days together in MSU's MassCom program. Uh, Eric is the co-director of the Mankato Civic Center and has worked there in one capacity or another for the past 17 years. Correct. And chances are, even if you don't know Eric, you've probably seen him if you've gone to a concert at the Civic Center, the Vetterstone Amphitheater, or the new Grand Hall, because he's almost always there. Uh, in addition to being the man responsible for booking concerts and events at all three venues, I hope that's correct. Correct me if I'm wrong, Eric. Uh, he's also there at every show, working behind the scenes to make sure performers get paid and everything runs smoothly. Um, Eric is a native of Lake Crystal and has lived in southern Minnesota his entire life. I hope that's also true. Pretty true. Okay. And we're happy to, to welcome Eric Jones to Freepcast. It's good to be here. Thanks for I'm, coming I'm, on the I'm, show. I'm honored to be here. Uh, you're in great, uh, you're in uh, elite company so far, Eric. We've had nothing but the best uh, so far. Come on. <laughs> well, the, I'll do my best and I'll podcast. try not to swear. So, uh, first of all, you got any got any scoops? Any big concert announcements for us coming up that we uh, have? You know, you know me good about? enough that I, there's right. no, there's <laughs> I'm I'm pretty superstitious about that kind of stuff. So yes, it's, you are. it always seems like whenever I, I leak something it always comes back to me. So um or, or or it's a jinx that if I if I do leak something and it'll end up going away and not happening and then so I've become very superstitious over the years. So it comes out when it comes out. And sometimes even when you don't leak something it leaks out. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which we can talk about later. We can talk about that later. For sure. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a great story we tell in the newsroom. Okay, all the time. So <laughs> good. We will definitely get to that. So, um, before we get into any of the of, of that stuff about what you do uh, at work, I want to get I want to talk a little bit about who you are and where you're from. You, you are from Lake Crystal, correct? Correct. You want to talk about where you grew up and if that was a cool place to be or not? Yeah. So I actually grew up in Lake Crystal, born and raised. Um, uh, farm kid. My parents um, and my grandpa and my uncle and his family all farmed together uh, growing up. So I had kind of one of those picturesque um, Minnesota uh, childhoods, mini bikes and 4-H and, um, you know, a good family. And it, it was great. You know, Lake Crystal was a great place to grow up. Um, so you grew up on a farm? I grew like up on doing, a farm. Doing like farm chores and stuff? I mean, were yep, you like... hopping in the fields and um, wow. we were... Uh, we had a hog farm, so I tried to distance myself as oh. much of that as I could. But um, you know, I was pretty active growing up, and especially in the in the fall, helping out. Was that farm still in the family? Yes. Yep. Um, my my dad and my uncle are still um, a part of the organization, and then my youngest brother and my cousin are um, the next generation taking it over. But you had no interest in um, being I, in the family farm business. I think I had interest, but I it I I, I just wasn't that. You know, I wasn't an FFA kid growing up. I wasn't that into agronomy and, and things like that. So I, I, I probably wasn't a good candidate to become a farmer. What was I, the best part about growing up on a farm? Um, I, I just, it was a great, you know, the, the animals, mini bikes, snowmobiles, you know, wide open spaces. Um, it, I was always growing up jealous of my city friends because they had people around them. They could ride their bikes together. They were always active. But looking back on it now, it was... Um, it was a pretty awesome childhood growing really up. You know, ideal situation. It sounds like. What kind of mini bike did you have? I have a Yamaha MX80. Still have it. It's still out there. It's you still, still the, have it. Still at the farm. My dad wow. actually got it fixed up a few years ago, and it was running. Um, I don't I know. Had if it's... A Yamaha YZ80. Oh, did you? Yeah, those are fun. They were fun. That I was fun. I've still got a couple good scars from it, but uh, mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, we just me and my buddies all drove all over the countryside and. Um, you know, got into trouble, a lot of fresh air, a lot of, a lot of doing stuff like that. So it's, you know, looking at my, we, we live in Lake Crystal, the city now, and it's, um, seeing how my kids grew up and they had, they had the bikes and they had the, you know, being able to go to the rec center and, you know, having that, all their friends around them. But I, I look back and like, I had it pretty good. So as you, um, you grew up in Lake Crystal and then you moved back, did you ever leave Lake Crystal? So you yeah. You come here for a 
a little while. Yeah. Um, here at least. I actually, I went to lacrosse for two years. Oh. Um, my first two years of college, uh, ended up coming back here for the last two plus years that I was in college. Um, and then after that, you know, I moved up to the cities for a while. Um, when my family was young, we lived down in Lanesboro for a little while, um, by Rochester and then, um, moved up to the cities for a while and then actually came back. We were looking for houses in Mankato and realized we could, um, build a house cheaper in Lake Crystal at the time. And so here I am back in Lake Crystal. So was there stuck a in Lodi you, again. Was there, was there a part of you that wanted to kind of give your kids the same? Definitely. I mean, youth I, that you had definitely, I grew up with, um, both set my, both sets of grandparents with, you know, one a mile away from me and the other ones, you know, living over by garden city. So, um, cousins and aunts and uncles and just family around growing up, that was a big deal. And at the time with my wife and I, you know, her parents lived close to uh, live by Rapidan, mine were in Lake Crystal, both sets of grandparents are right there. And it, it seemed like at the time, and it still does, it, it was the right move to, um, you know, both kids or our kids have grown up with, um, aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents coming to their games and, and, that whole experience. And I, I think, um, it, it was the right move. You know, sometimes I look back thinking, gosh, I didn't really make it all that far. <laughs> I started out in Lake Crystal and I'm, I'm still in Lake Crystal, but, um, looking at my kids and, and the happiness and, and the, the life that they have with you know, sports and music and all the stuff that they've been able to do, I mean, it was the right move for us. So being a Lake Crystal guy, can you tell me if Justin Morneau still has that place out there? He does. Does he still come out and um, yeah, so we um, usually see him around the Fourth of July and, and stuff like that um, on the lake. And um, I'm it's actually more of a cabin for him. Kind I, of thing? Yeah, it's a really um, nice cabin. He just moved up to um, Plymouth area, just built a house up there. So I believe I don't know what the the long term because um, his stepbrother or not stepbrother, his brother in law lives in Lake Crystal. Is actually a friend of mine, and okay. um, I think it was kind of a summer place for them. But now that they're close, I, I'm not sure what the the long term yeah. uh, cabin thing is going to be. So back to your youth, um, tell me about, because we're going to get kind of the, the focus of this chat is going to be about music. Um, what, what, when did you become really interested in music? How, how early was that in your life? Um, you know, I think I was always music. I, I remember music from my youngest days. I, I had two aunts, um, my dad's youngest sisters that were like seven and nine years older than me. So growing up, they were almost like big sisters they're into a lot of music. So I remember, you know, when I go over to their house, um, getting exposed to, um, not only like Creedence Clearwater and, and stuff that my uncles were listening to Peter Frampton. Um, but then like my aunts being into sticks and prints and stuff like that as I was, you know, got older and just the 45s that were laying around there. And then my mom always had records going, and so I kind of, I remember my earliest records that I bought were usually like the Carpenters or um, Olivia Newton-John, stuff like that, that my my parents listened to. So it really wasn't until about fifth or sixth grade, I think, that I kind of, somebody gave, I, I bought a Joan Jett and the Blackhearts record and that, that kind of changed everything. So I still kind of look at that as being the, you know, kind of steered me in a little different direction. So how old are you? We can't ask that. Well, you're a little, I'm, so I'm, I'm four, 49. I'm 48. So, so we're about the same age. So I remember when I Love Rock and Roll came out, mm -hmm. Joan Jett, that was kind of a epic it was. moment. It was a game music. changer. All, yeah. all of a sudden, it, you know, it was, I didn't really, you know, listening to what my parents listened to. I used to, I remember going to bed at night and listening to KYSM, um, having country music on like Crystal Gale and Hoyt Axton and those kind of yeah. acts that I, I, I remember those songs from. And then, you know, that summer that that came out, that was just kind of like, holy cats, there's crunchy guitars and, mm -hmm. and, you know, cute girls singing, singing the songs. And it was kind of a, then I remember just, you know, kind of all of a sudden starting to consume everything at that time. I remember like the Go-Go's and Jay Giles band and stuff like that. That was all, you know, at that time. And then I, then it just, you know, kind of opened doors for listening to a lot of other things. So at some point then you would have, um, picked up a guitar. Right. I think, uh, Probably about seventh grade, I think me and my buddy Tim Maurer um, decided we were going to become guitar players, so we signed up for guitar lessons at Encore, I think it was Encore Music, down in the downtown mall. Okay. And uh, 
started. That's one I haven't heard of since, I mean, I've heard of a lot of music places and record stores. I think it was called, but I've never heard of that one. I think it was called Encore. It was a piano and guitar shop. And Jim Reinertson, um, we signed up for guitar lessons with Jim and it was kind of, you know, kind of opened the floodgates of, of uh, wanting to be rock and rollers. So you were never in like the school band at all? Oh yeah, definitely. I was. uh, Oh, you were? Yep. Okay. I started trumpet when I was. You're a trumpet um, player. In fourth grade, fourth or fifth grade, whenever they started, and I was always, always good at it. I mean, it kind of came naturally, and then I played that all through high school until um, my junior year. I switched to um, tuba. Oh, yeah. Why? So I was a tubist because there wasn't one um, in our band, um, and it looked kind of cool. And at the time, um, I started taking guitar lessons um, for. I took lessons for maybe two or three years. Um, about that time, I kind of started getting interested in playing bass guitar. So then I switched about ninth, tenth grade to to playing bass, and I was reading bass clef music at the time, and um, so it was kind of easy to transition from trumpet to tuba because I was reading yeah reading the music. So yeah, I was a tubist. Wow, whole new side of you. I didn't right? Know, yeah, I didn't know you're a horn player. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, I loved it. I I'm um, I. Yeah, I love being in band. We had, then we had a jazz band when our schools combined um, with Welcome Memorial. We had a jazz band, so I got to play bass in that, and that kind of opened the doors for you know being able to um, you know, try different things and, and play different kinds of music and, and reading music, and it was it was a good time. So how did you switch from being the uh, the arrogant, can do no wrong trumpet player because they're all that way to being the odd man out weirdo tuba player? It's kind of a if you don't know, like, what, I, I don't play anything, but what I learned from my kids being in band is each section kind of has their own right. reputation right. and persona. And the trumpet players are kind of the the hot shots. Yeah. And the yeah. tuba players are kind of the weirdos. <laughs> I was probably a weirdo. I don't know. I, I think we got to that point where, like I said, I was getting interested in more the bass music and, and holding down that, that low end. And the opportunity was there. I had a really great band teacher who kind of, said yeah go for it you know we don't have a tuba player right now or and you know it's all yours and I, I tried it and it was just it came pretty easy to me and and took off and it was it was fun I mean I liked I like sitting back there and, and and holding down the bottom yeah you know it's and I that kind of transpired when I got into playing rock and roll and, and other stuff like that I mean playing the bass was ultimately very satisfying okay yeah can you still play trumpet or tuba um so yeah I do have a trumpet at home, I don't. I couldn't even tell you if I could play a, t- a tuba. Um, I don't remember the fingering, but I, I we do have a trumpet in the house, and I'll pull it out every once in a while. And yeah, I'm pretty terrible. Are they in the same key at all? Or I I don't even. The, some of the fingering similar, but it's it's okay. it's different. Um, so yeah, I, I I like to pull the trumpet out and make some noise every now and then. That's, but that's I don't have much of a lip left anymore, and I it it's 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 gone. <laughs> I'm just intrigued to hear this. It's over. You. This is fantastic. Yeah, this is great stuff. Um, so, what was your first like rock and roll band you were in? You said your your friend what was his name Ma- Mauer. Tim Mauer. Mauer. Yeah, yeah there was a bunch of us. Derek Zawicki, uh, Dale Walters, who still actually plays around town in like uh, sixty nine cents and some of those bands. But um, we had a high school band called Oh my gosh, I don't remember what we were called. I think we stayed together for long enough to play one after prom party and a couple other things and, and then quickly disbanded. Joe Tugas has the same story. He had a band that was had a name and they, they lasted two gigs, I think. So, right. Yeah. So that was that was the the pinnacle of my high school. He always had big dreams of putting something massive together. And yeah, we, we I think we played one after prom party and probably learned about 15 songs and that was it. So when did we... Uh I was I was scrolling through your Facebook pictures this morning uh, before, before we came here, and that's how I came across uh, the bad apples. Right. So tell me about about that. Um. So yeah, when I I, I spent two years in in lacrosse, and I ended up moving back here, um, following a girl here, and thinking I was going to become a music major, which I didn't actually d- end up doing. Um. At the time, I met a couple guys that wanted to start a band, a cover band, at the time, and um, seemed like a good idea. So we were a power trio playing, you know, the hard rock hits of the late '80s and early '90s. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was my that was my first real band. And how long did you guys last? Mm, year and a half, two years. Playing gigs. Playing gigs at bars, local local bars, and um, busters here in town. 
Um, it, are, are there any YouTube clips out there of the bad apples? I don't. I, thankfully, I believe that was before <laughs> uh, anybody in our circle had a video camera or anything okay. like that. So I don't. I don't know that there's anything. Um, anything there, but it was it was a great experience. Cut my teeth a little bit. Got mm-hmm. to figure out how to, um, you know, play with other guys and play with volume and um, learn a little bit of the business, the booking, and that kind of stuff. It was. Um, it was if I heard it now, it'd probably be pretty cringe worthy. But it was a it was a great time. Were you doing the the booking for the band, or were you kind um, of taking that role on? No, I think our drummer um, did most of that kind of stuff. But it was you know talking to bar owners and, and haggling over money and that kind of stuff. That was the first experience over of that kind of thing. But you guys got paid though. You weren't just paid in beer. We may have been just paid in beer <laughs> at a set a few gigs, but um, we were around long enough where I think we towards the end we we had some pretty okay paydays. Okay. And then uh, I'm not sure if there were any bands between that you were in between the Bad Apples and Howard's Hair. Was I mean, were you in anything else? I was not actually. I think I left Bad Apples to to join Howard's Hair. Okay, let's hear about Howard's Hair because I remember seeing that article in the Free Press. Yeah, at some time where you were sitting on the pool table with Mike Peaton. Right. Was it at the What's Up Lounge? The What's Up Lounge. That yeah. was kind of our. So. Because um, Mike, did he own the place or? His ran parent, the place? his family owned the place, okay. and at the time, I think he was kind of managing the the What's Up, okay. doing the bookings and stuff like that. Um, so John Dompierre, the guitar player, um, and a couple other guys had come to me. We, I was kind of I was on the downside of my fifth year of college, and um, they were they were in a band called Pale Rider and a couple other thing, a couple other guys, and. Um, we all had songs that we'd written over the years and you know, what do you do with them? We're all going to graduate. We're let's, so it was kind of the idea was we're just going to work these songs up. We're going to record them. And then we have something for posterity. Remember these things that we, we worked on through college. So we started getting together and writing and rehearsing and, and things like that. And, um, Mike Peaton came into the group. Um, we lost a couple other guys and Mike Peterson, um, the drummer became available. So we started playing with him and pretty soon everything was kind of clicking and these songs were, weren't terrible. They were, um, they were pretty good. So we just kind of kept playing and kept playing and pretty soon Mike was getting us opening gigs for bands coming through like holiday ranch and new sun union and some of these other grand bands coming in. So, you know, we're playing four or five times a month, you know, opening up for bands at the what's up lounge Mm -hmm. and, getting pretty good, making a pretty good name for ourselves. And I think that June, uh, we'd worked up nine or ten songs, and we went up to Metro Records up in the Twin Cities, and we, we were given a weekend. I think we had to pay like $5,000 at the time, something probably crazy that wow. we had to we, – we financed through one of our – one or a couple of our parents. And it was the weekend that of the I'll never forget. It was the weekend of O.J. Simpson's um, White Bronco Chase. So we had that on the TVs while we were um, <laughs> recording. You know this whirlwind. You know we had I think from Friday night at seven o'clock until Monday morning at seven o'clock. So we basically had the studio on these crummy off hours, and we put these songs together and we had a CD. And at that point, we just kept going. There was a lot of buzz about. Howard's hair at the time, I I recall. There was, you know, and there was bands like Naked Bob at the time, and mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. I know Joe Tugas had Blue Velveeta. I'm trying to think of the other original bands around town, but I, you know, we were basically pop songs, and and we did a pretty good job of of um <laughs> of marketing ourselves to the people on campus. The um, so we had a good we had a good following pretty much immediately, and so we had a good buzz going on, and um. The album turned out pretty good. I mean, there's some listening to it now. It's it's certainly cringeworthy, cringeworthy in certain spots, but it's it's fun, and and we had a good we had a good following, and um, ultimately we kind of decided we're going to give this a try. You know, let's we were all pretty much to the end of college. Um, let's take a year or two and and see where this goes. And where did it go? How far did did you? <laughs> so get? you know, we spent we played through the summer. We um, uh, we got tight great chemistry and i think i've played in enough bands to realize that um that was a that was a legit band i mean we had a good chemistry we were we were tight we were good together um um so we played through the summer and ultimately we had the guy that we a guy that we worked with at the studio up in minneapolis got us a uh 
a record showcase with some with Ron Geslin from Sony Records. Mm. So we flew this guy in from, or he flew in um, to Minneapolis. We picked him up in a limo and served him poly eyes and brought him down. And he, we played a showcase for him at the What's Up Lounge in front of our friends and family. And probably one of the best days of my life. It was it was just a wow. great great day. And that was, I think, the article you were referring to in the Free Press, where I think Joe Tugas did a pretty nice full-page article on us at the yeah. time. And um, great, great day. And the guy came, and he said he liked our sound, and you'll be hearing from us. And then time went on, and time went on. And the last message we got from him is, you know, things are going. We just We need to hear, you know, let's hear the next batch of songs. So we, we start writing, and we start, we would go in and record when we could, um, and then, I don't know. Towards that that next winter, um, we were we were gigging. We were going down down to like Rock Island, Illinois, and Ames, Iowa, St. Cloud, kind of you know playing our our circle. And um, it just it got tiring. You know, I was still working full time. I, I managed the disc jockey record store in the mall. Oh really? Uh, at that time, okay. and it was you know it was just so trying to trying to do that and have a have this other career and then we took a tour we got booked on a tour out to winter park colorado we went through like lincoln nebraska and a couple other stops along the way spent four or five days out in winter park and then drove back and it was i kind of looked at it like i I don't see myself doing this you had your moment of clarity where you were like we we did and i it, it, it had been coming i mean we played with a lot of great bands you know over the time but I think you know we met, we we opened for Slim Dunlap from the Replacements a few times. Wow, um, that's cool. It, it was cool, and he was just this this amazing guy and telling us stories and giving us advice. And you just sit there like, oh my gosh, this is this is a replacement. Yeah, you know, giving us this information. But you also look at it at the time like this guy's on a whole nother. This guy's a rock star. This guy's on a whole different level than us, and he's in his forties still slogging it out and playing the what's up lounge and stuff like that. And I, I kind of looking at that, like, you know, I, I think I need health insurance. <laughs> you know, I need a 401k. <laughs> I need, I need, I don't know that I'm cut out for, um, being a rock and roller full time. So I think that was kind of, so that next fall or that next spring, our drummer left. And I think we had good intentions of, of, um, getting the next batch of songs ready and stuff like that. And once he left, we, we, we brought in another drummer who we'd kind of been grooming for, a little while we practiced a couple times and I'm just like this isn't gonna work this isn't this is different and I just I didn't feel like trying to rebuild um, and so we just kind of parted ways so at that point did you were you feeling like this was a really cool thing that I did and I did it at a time in my life when I could do it and right I'm glad I did that or were you feeling like oh shit the dream is over of this thing that I was hoping would turn into something bigger is wait can is I over. say shit you can say whatever you want. <laughs> um, podcast. Uh, <laughs> we had, we had Michael Samini in here who rewrote the rules on language for right. Freepcast. So, at the time, I was really bummed about it I, because you know having having the exposure with Sony and and feeling like I mean there was weeks leading up to that day and weeks afterwards thinking oh my god I, this might happen I might have made I, we might make it we might be able to do this for for a career and it was exciting and it was just like people were you know, aware of it and it just felt all this buzz and everything. And then it just kind of died down and didn't go anywhere. And I think when it, when it all said, I remember getting in my car and just having tears in my eyes thinking that was it, you know, that was my shot. I'm not going to, I'm not going to spend another two or three years trying to build something back up. And, um, you know, came back and I think Mike Peaton and I tried to put something together here locally for a little while. And it just was, it was different and it was, um, wasn't the same so I think that kind of fell apart and my heart just wasn't wasn't there but looking back on it now I mean what a fantastic experience it's um and it's against my character to to just take a leap of faith and stop doing kind of stop my life for a while to just concentrate on that I mean that was that's out of character for me Mm -hmm. and I don't know what I kind of there's times when I think back and I'm like what why did I do it you know what? What in me just said, "Yeah, let's just do this," or was I just caught up in it? And I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of proud of myself for for taking that year and a half to just kind of explore it. And I think if I 
Because when you're a kid, you spend hours in your basement playing the guitar and reading magazines and reading liner notes on albums about who produced what and who's you know played mandolin on this track and just things like just obsessing over things like that. And you know, I got to do it. I got to spend time in a recording studio. I've got a physical copy of a CD that I created, um, and that's that's good. I mean, that's enough. So is that the kind of thing that has a lot of cred with your kids? The fact that you were in a band and <laughs> I don't know that it's that I mean, toured a little bit and had he, a had a sniff from Sony from uh, Sony Records and that would be a good question for them. I don't know. I I you know I like to I like to play the turn the turn the CD put the CD in and turn it up loud in the car and mm-hmm. and uh, I think there's I get a lot of groans and eye rolls about it. But you know there's also people will come up and you know if we're out and about and say oh Howard's hair and I think they look at it like really you know. So I, yeah, I think it being able to have that CD and say this is what I did. I think there's a little bit of, I don't know. I'll, I'll play this for them and and see what they say. So is anybody uh, is that on YouTube at all? Has anybody like uploaded the full album to YouTube? Um, I don't believe so. I've I've kind of I, I think one time I tried putting it on Spotify, um, and it didn't really it didn't really get anywhere. Um, so it was there, it just didn't get. I sent it off to them. Listen to okay. I don't know if they didn't just deem it to be Spotify worthy or. Can you send me like some that. MP3s? Maybe we can insert a song in the yeah podcast here. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, send me your favorite song and we'll insert okay. it right here. talk about your job with the city mm-hmm. um you, you in my intro i, I kind of mentioned you're the guy behind bringing in all the the big time music acts that we that we have seen here in the last 15 years or so has it been 15 years 17 years 17 years okay um tell me about that process and maybe kind of give listeners kind of a peek behind the curtain of what it's like to to try and navigate the the world of um 
that you work in. I mean, right. I don't even, I mean, right. I think most folks have no idea how that even works. It, yeah, it's a, it's a complicated experience and it's, it's looking back. I knew this was going to come up and kind of thinking about it. It's, it's just changed a hundred percent since I started. It's a, just a completely different world, but uh, we work with um, a really great group of promoters and, you know, when, when, so, you know, a little, you say, I bring this, these bands to Mankato. It's, it's not just me. It's not just. It's more complicated. It's than, it's more complicated than, that, than I'm. Right. You know, I I get to be the the face of it here in in Mankato. But there's there's promoters. There's booking agents. There's just tons of people that are on our side. You know, trying to help bring us bring these shows to Mankato. And those are just relationships that have been cultivated over many many years. So was this? Um, how would you characterize it? Would it, is it you have to go looking for an act to bring in, or do they come looking? They say, "Hey, we're going to be in town. Can we? Or we're going to be in the region. Can we swing through Mankato?" There's a little bit of that. Um, obviously, you know, I, we've got a hit list of things that we think would work, and mm-hmm. you know, new artists, old artists, um, classic artists, that kind of thing, that we think would work. Things that I think, you know, um, probably wouldn't work very well in Mankato. Um, so, uh, most of these people that I work with have an idea of of what we're looking for and what, what would work in Mankato. We are a very big country market. We're a very big, um, classic rock, hard rock does really well. Um, a lot of other things are kind of iffy, a little, a little harder to, um, harder to sell sometimes. So, you know, we kind of pay attention when you, to who's going out, um, when they're going to go out, when they're going to be coming through the Midwest, what kind of dates we have available in our buildings. Um, and just work at it that way. So it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong about this, but it, it seems like maybe a while ago there was a time when um, it was really hard to get someone to come here because there was other places nearby that had similar venues and maybe bigger bigger cities. And But now it seems like a lot of performers want to come to a smaller place and play a venue like the Grand Hall or the amphitheater. So has it gotten better for you the last it's, five, ten years? I would say it's actually gotten worse. Oh, okay. And I'll kind of give you the the big picture sure. of, the, of that. Uh, when I started, you know, touring was, people toured to serve the album primarily. You know, Aerosmith puts out a new album or a new single or something. They go out for 18 months and they tour behind it. And they hit, you know, they'll hit Minnesota three times during that tour cycle. Um, country artists were great. You know, every you can't really th- name an up and coming or a country artist in the last twenty years that hasn't played Mankato in yeah. some fashion as an opening act or as a headliner. It's there's not very many people that haven't been through here. Um, as touring has changed over the last years, that you know, in that people aren't buying CDs anymore. People aren't buying albums. Um, touring has become a way to fr- gone from a way to to sell the album to a way for these artists to make a living, to replace the lost revenues that they're not, they're not getting from selling their music. Okay. And that's why you're seeing ticket prices exploding and um, all that kind of stuff. So back in the day, we were kind of a, a, mu- a must play for a lot of country artists because we were a strong market. We were um, had cu- strong country radio here, um, good strong farm community that supported the shows. And, and um, same with a lot of the hard rock acts, a lot of the classic rock that... Um, we're kind of we were always on people's itineraries. It's kind of changed over the course of the years, and in, in that touring has gotten uh, so acts that were maybe getting fifty thousand dollars are now commanding one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and it's it makes getting those types of shows in Mankato a little bit more risky. Add into that, we have tons of competition that we didn't have even five years ago when that park first opened out there, especially. Um, Treasure Island wasn't going crazy on booking stuff outdoors, and Mystic Lake wasn't going crazy booking stuff outdoors. We didn't have the Palace Theater in the Twin Cities. We didn't have the Armory, um, you know, venues that are closer to our size. And it's it's gotten really hard, especially in the summertime, um, for us to to get out there and, and get this a lot of the stuff that we think would would work really well. Hmm. So one of my other questions was because we have the three venues though does the, has that helped you? It has. When you started, it was just the, the big room, mm-hmm. and now you've got the grand hall and the outdoor right. uh, venue. Does that make it any easier? It's somewhat easier. It, it gives us more flexibility. Um, it's just, um, 
especially with the arena, because back in the day when that was the only only room that we had, we kept having to try to scale to build the room to fit the band. So like we had Brandy Carlisle here, you know, when on when she was really great young. Show. Great show. Um, Sue McLean took a chance and put her in a in a hockey cut down hockey arena, and it it worked really well. Yep. Um, now we don't have to worry about taking that expense and you know, making a hockey arena look try to look like a theater. We have a room more appropriately sized for that. So when Brandy came around again, we could you know kind of do it right. So we don't really have to try to to make the arena look like a theater anymore. But it. it while we we don't have to do that, the competition has just gotten so much greater. For um, we just did a band called Hailstorm last week, which is a hard rock act, um, very popular, does very well with tickets. Um, we've been trying for f- four years to get an act um, to get them to come through because one time they play Rochester, the next time they have to play the Twin Cities, one time they play um, S- uh, Brainerd, not Brainerd, Bemidji. The next time they play the Twin Cities, so they just we keep wading through these cycles, and and for whatever reason now all of a sudden we're getting these bands. We've had kind of a couple years of of some lean, especially at the arena, some lean years, and now the shows are starting to come back. How did that one sell? Great. Did it? Mm-hmm. What does that do for? I mean, do promoters take note of that? And of they... course, you know, um, success breeds success, and it's yeah. it's it's happened. Um, I go to a convention um, every year, and last year um, down in Nashville, it's called IEBA. It's it's a talent buyers convention, and I got to sit down with some of our talent buyers that we work with in our area, and just say, "Look, you know, I'm getting killed by the Twin Cities. You know, keep us in mind when you know some of these newer acts and some of the stuff that makes sense for Mankato comes through." And and you know, being able to to plead that case, and then we've got some great promoter partners um, with Pepper Entertainment out of Sioux Falls, Mammoth out of. Um, Kansas City, the Frank brothers in, in Madison, Wisconsin, that you know are really looking out for us and trying to um, to get shows through here. And you know, you, you're successful with one. Like we did a um, we we've got two back to back sold three back to back sold out country shows in the Grand Hall. Um, Chris Jansen, Billy Carrington, Cody Jenks. That um, it just opens doors because it, it makes us legit. We're not a risk. So there must be a certain aspect to to your um your job where you're trying to please everybody because you've all i'm sure you get people saying to you, you yeah know, why is it nothing but country or classic rock can't we get in something that's you know not in that genre how do you so what do you do to try and please everybody i know you can't but you must try <laughs> it was probably 10 years ago there was a letter to, to letter to the editor in the mankato free press um complaining about eric jones just booking country bands because he likes country bands <laughs> And I've got that cut out and stuck on my bulletin board. I, I see it every day, and it was just—I'm not a country guy. I mean, I, I like—we had an, an article by Mark Fishnick that where you said it's not your—it's not your favorite. No, music. I mean, especially the newer, the bro country, that kind of stuff. Right. It just—it's cringy. It's yeah. just—it's—it's it's not my thing. I like alternative country, you know, Americana type stuff. I love that, but I'm—I'm I'm just not a. But it was funny, and I it made me laugh at the time. But it, it's kind of one of those. It's it's a good reminder that you can't please everybody. Mm-hmm. And you know, I um, don't read the don't read Facebook comments. If you're going to announce a band, don't go back through and just read Facebook comments because that's why I tell people that that I work with and my staffs like, don't spend time obsessing over the one guy that doesn't like Billy Currington, because it's going to sell well. It's going to mm-hmm. do very well. Um, yeah, I would love to get more. Um, of the type of stuff that I like and, and, and those types of bands. But, you know, we know what sells and yeah, I don't get really caught up in, in trying to please everybody. I, I know, you know, if it's been a long time since we've had a, um, adult contemporary type act, or if it's been a, like a, a newer thing, I'll say, Hey, you know, we haven't had a hip hop act in here for a long time. Can we start maybe putting the focus on, um, let's see what's out there, um, for ba- bands that might sense, might make sense for Mankato. But I mean, once you start getting caught up in trying to please everybody, then it just you, you, you'll eat yourself alive. So, are you ever like paying? I I, I assume you're paying attention to like the, the local music scene. I try to. It's it's getting harder and harder, but I try to know who's out there and and what they're doing. So there is a, a very vibrant hip hop community in this in this town, right? It's, 
but I haven't seen a lot of hip hop come through the Civic Center. Is that is that because you can't get the right fit? It's uh, we're very close to the Twin Cities. We're we're, we're actually in most um, with most booking agents. We're considered the Twin Cities. Okay. And you know, I get the question all the time: Is hey, I just I see that so and so is playing um, on Thursday in Minneapolis, and they have a day off the next day. Why don't you get them down here? And it, it just doesn't work that way. Booking agents don't want to do that. Um, so that's why a lot of times, if if an act plays Minneapolis, we have to wait till the next time they come through. Like with Hailstorm, okay. Hailstorm played um, the Armory in November, so we got them in April. Okay. Um. Yeah. All right. Let's. I want to talk to you about some of the the bigger ones that have come through. Right. See if you have any. And one one story that I want you to tell is the James Taylor laundry story. Can you? Um. Which is so endearing. He's. It. It made everyone just. Yeah. Melt when they heard that about James Taylor. So tell that story if you don't mind. So James was in the building um, all day long, and he was kind of, you know, and he he's got his glasses on, and he he kind of walks like a little old man when he's not on stage, and he, he was kind of around all day, and I don't think most people even realized it, but after. After his show in Mankato, um, it was maybe 11.30, 11.45 at night. And, and this was uh, 2016? Okay. Um, yeah. And he kind of he went up to one of our, our staff at the end of the night and said, do you have a washer and dryer I could use? And the washer and dryer that we have is usually for, like, mop heads and, and stuff like the pretty gross things. It's mm-hmm. not, I, not something <laughs> you probably want to wash your underwear in. And... She said, yeah, there's one back on the loading dock, but it's used for mop heads and stuff like that. And he goes, oh, that's okay. That's fine. He says, I have a show. I think he had a show the next night in um, in upper Wisconsin somewhere. And he goes, I want to wear this shirt. This is my favorite shirt, and I want to I wash it so I can wear it tomorrow night. And so we got him some soap and, and the washing machine. He washed his shirt, and he dried it, and he just sat there next to the dryer in a little chair, little old man reading a book for an hour on our loading dock. No security around him, just you know, just James Taylor. You he know? didn't have a guy come do it for him. He just no. He, he washed it. He, he washed his own, washed and dried his own shirt, and um, probably probably one of the best stories down there. So, did you talk to him at all? Did you? Yeah. I, you know, a lot of times people say, "Did well? Did you get a picture with him? Did you? Did you get an autograph?" And try not to try not to be that person. You know. Yeah. It's. I've got the memories. I've got. I've seen them. I get to say hi to them. I shook. I might shake a hand. Um, if 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 a if a picture opportunity does present itself, yeah, maybe we'll do that. But for the most part, they're just people. They're doing their job. Yeah. Um, try to stay out of their way and be respectful. And and that's kind of what I tell everybody that we work with too. It's like, try don't be starstruck. It's just a person coming in to do his job, and um, just let them. And if they, you know, if a if a opportunity presents itself great but otherwise let's let's not go chasing after autographs and stuff yeah. we, we've got the we got the memory and that's good enough was it that way for elton john elton Ar- well, arguably the biggest name that ever came through here elton john was i don't think i've ever shaken so i was i i got, did get the opportunity to meet elton we gave him a a plaque commemorating the date it, it, it sold out in like five minutes um it's it was the heart easiest sellout we've ever had yeah, I suppose. um in our in our 25 years or something but yeah, I got to shake his hand and get a picture with him, and I was pretty nervous. <laughs> but so the Elton John um, story, or the the story that we alluded to earlier was uh, <laughs> so before I was covering arts in this town, uh, a guy named Tanner Kent was covering arts in this town, and he got wind of the Elton John announcement, told the newsroom Elton John's coming, and then went to lunch. Right. And I'm like, I'm like, I was one of the first guys doing Twitter at the time, so I'm like, oh, that's a big deal. I'll just go ahead and tweet this out. And within a few minutes, you called me. <laughs> Freaking out. Freaking out. So a lot of times what happens with- uh, You were when mad. We, I was mad. And I may have, I yeah. So let's back up a little bit. I don't, I don't normally just scream at reporters, but um, so a lot of times when- we make an announcement. They're very sensitive about the inf- information because right. they want to make a big splash. They right. want to be able to say, you know, eight o'clock Monday morning, we're making this announcement and people are listening to their radios and they're looking at the paper and they're looking at their social media to find out what that act is. Usually stuff leaks out and it's, you know, 
I'll t- a tap on the wrist or a slap on the wrist and we move on and stuff like that. But the Elton John people were like, this announcement's getting made nine o'clock the next morning. Um, it's embargoed information. It cannot be get, it cannot be go, cannot go out before that. And they were, they, they told us point blank, you will lose the show if you, if you were making this announcement prior to us, um, prior to this announced time at nine o'clock the next morning. So, okay. You know, I call, I call Tanner. I'm like, here's your press release. Here's all your stuff. Just, you cannot do anything with this until nine o'clock tomorrow morning. You know, I had to have that conversation with every media that we did. And a lot of what Elton John did, why he came to Mankato in the first place, because it was a big deal. It was, he knew he could come in here and make a huge payday, just him and his piano. It would be an easy sell and it would be something that Mankato will probably talk about as long as Mankato's on the map. Yeah. You know, because it, it was a big deal. Um, and they, they wanted that, they wanted that splash. They wanted Elton John's coming to Mankato and they wanted that big deal. And, and so they were, I had to sign, I had to, I had to sign a, something saying I was responsible for this news getting out. And then my assistant, um, not my assistant, my coworker, Trisha, who was, I wasn't really on Twitter at the time, but she was, she goes, Oh my God, get over here. It's on Twitter. Elton John, there's a picture of Elton John and coming to Mankato. And <laughs> I may have called and freaked out on you. Well, now that I know the whole backstory, I don't blame you. Yeah. I mean, you're, I mean, if he pulls out, Eric Jones is fired. Right, right. And that was, they were, they've told me many, and I had a sheet that said, if this is released to the public ahead of time, you will, you risk losing the show. Sign your name, Eric Jones. So I think in the, before I got back, (laughs) somebody had gone into my computer because I think you might have called. Somehow somebody went into my I I don't know. And deleted it for me. I think I called probably everybody that I could over there. That was a that was a fun time. <laughs> that was a fun time. But look look at us today. At Here us we today. are. Here yeah. we are. Good times, good memories. <laughs> um, who is the? We talked about Elton John. It's probably the biggest name that you've dealt with. Um, who do you think was the best show? Mm. And then I, I I I know you don't get to see a lot of other shows because you're working. Um, but do you have a handle? I on have maybe? favorites. I don't know if I can say a, a best because okay. I even. Even the country acts that, that I've been through that I won't name that I don't really like, I still appreciate mm-hmm. that they're doing it. I mean, these guys, these are professional musicians. They're mm-hmm. living their dream. Yep. Um, you can usually look at a show and say, okay, I don't like this song, but you know, the guys are, these are nice guys and they're, it's, it's a good show. Um, so usually I can try to, I don't, there's not a lot of shows where I'm just like rolling my eyes going, oh God, we got, is it 1130 yet? Then go right. home. Right. As I, I love what I do and I get to be around it and it's, it's exciting, you know, but Favorite shows, um, I love that amphitheater. I, yeah. I I think I was getting a, I felt like I was getting kind of stagnant and getting kind of looking at um, other opportunities before that amphitheater came into play, and um, just getting to see that blossom from the ground up become something that was it was a gar- garbage pile out yeah. there before that and to see that. So I think there's some pretty amazing shows that I've seen out there. I mean, I, I'll go back to. The second time we had trampled by turtles out there, you know, with all the the acts that we've had through, you know, I, I look at that trampled show as just being. We went into it nervous. I, I was nervous for myself because we'd only sold like eight hundred tickets pre-sale on that, thinking, and this is right as they were kind of starting to make noise on a national scene, and mm-hmm. they'd been out there the year before, and um, turns out we ended up walking up like thirty five hundred people that night, and it was massive. Whoa. And it was just a brilliant, it was just a beautiful night and the crowd was magic and the band was excited because they, uh, um, it was a big crowd for them at the time. They had a massive, really good payday from, from us. Um, great night. Um, uh, Jason Isbell, we had him in 2014, right as he was kind of becoming That was a, Jason Isbell. That might've been the best. I didn't. I didn't go to the Trampled show, but the Isabel show might be the best one I've seen out there. Yeah, and that was a leap of faith by his booking agent because I was I I got that album. I'd been aware of him through Drive By Truckers and in some of his early stuff, but mm-hmm. that album fell in my lap, and I was just in love. Yeah, I mean, it was just a mad. It's just a it's a great magical album. That album does that to you, right? And you know, I I got to his booking agent, and I mean, that was one that solely booked by the the Verizon Center and Better Stone Amphitheater, and. 
he took a leap of faith playing a, an amphitheater in Mankato and um, you know, we did 850 people which I think at the time was a was a good good crowd for him and and then they've ignored me ever since then <laughs> he's become a you know he's become kind of the king of his genre and yeah, he's a big deal and you know he's playing every summer I say you know can I remember that one time I took a risk on him and yeah. and I think we even may have lost a little bit of money on it not not much but um but that's kind of you know those relationships I talked about earlier that's where you can say like yeah can I get another date? You yeah. know, and um, so hopefully we will someday. If he came today, I, I mean, oh yeah, be way more than eight hundred people, right? But he's also, I mean, what his price is probably quadrupled from what I paid him, yeah. or more from what I paid him back in those days. But so, can you share what what is what is a guy like him? I probably shouldn't. Okay. Um, he he went from. I mean, I probably pay him. Um. He's in the th- he's in six figures now. Okay, um, which he was probably in that twenty to thirty range at the time. Okay, and that was probably more than I should have paid him at at mm-hmm. the time, just because he didn't have the, the track record. Yeah, but you know now he's you know last he's played Basilica Block Party every summer or a couple of summers since then. He's um, this summer he's up there with at the Armory with Father John Misty and. So it always seems like there's something going on in the summer that the Twin Cities wants him for, and we kind of lose out. But we'll get him back. Hope so. Yeah. Is there anybody on your list you were going for? You're trying to get that's, that's um, realistic. You can talk talk to us about or no? I yeah, I can always talk about what what I'd like to see out there. I mean, I've always um, I've got a short list. I've I'd love to see Wilco at the park. Um, yeah. And I we talk we talk to him every year and. Um, Again, it's it's another case of being they're beloved in the Twin Cities. Yeah, you know it's it's kind of one of their outside of Chicago. It's probably one of their top five markets. And they've played Rochester a couple, a couple times. right? They have. Um, so it's it's our turn. It's our turn. And I've I've actually um, their booking agent. Um, I, I, I I I cornered him <laughs> at a which is probably inappropriate, but I, I kind of just said, hey, you know, Rochester's had him. Moorhead's ha- Moorhead's had him. Duluth has had him Moorhead. multiple times. Moorhead, they've got the Blue Stem Amphitheater out there by Fargo. They had them yeah, two sure summers ago. Yeah. So I was like, Mankato's due. So I, they would sell out. And, I mean, they, it would be great. People and, would come out of the cities and it would be right. easy one. To, it's, yeah. it, it's just a matter of timing and, and that kind of thing. But uh, that's definitely on the short act. I guess I would, <laughs> I've always wanted to see Ryan Adams out at the park. I don't know that that's mm. a thing anymore. Probably um, easy to get now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and along with a a picket line or something like that uh-huh. but um yeah i don't know it'd be great to get bob dylan back um yeah it would be great to i mean you kind of look at it looking at these acts as they're you know we've, we've been lucky to have willie nelson mm-hmm. at the park um going back to magical shows we had him twice within uh, two or three years of each other the first time out there watching him thinking oh, willie this is it man I'm glad we got you, but this is, mm-hmm. and then he was there three years later and it was a completely, it was, it was amazing. He was on fire. It was, he was an 80 something guy and it was, um, I don't know if it was an off night or whatever we had him, but I mean, the guy's revitalized. Hmm. We had Merle Haggard out there. It was amazing. So yeah, I guess I'm in love with the park. We've had old Coral Medicine show. They were great. Peter Frampton, kind of a, we did a, a Frampton show out there as a, as a favor to, um, to the booking agent they needed a place to play in between here and there and i'm like it's kind of rolling my eyes he was a it was a great show you know and i think whatever play guitar you can play guitar and it was it was a great great show so i there's a there's alice cooper Mm -hmm. out there was fantastic i mean just yeah i really i really like being out there all right um any weird stories of Shit that's happened <laughs> that you can talk about. Um, you know, a, a lot of people ask you that over, you know. Um, I I don't I think the days of debauchery on tour is kind of over. It's become big business. People, um, my, one of my favorite stories is like Rob Zombie. He's been here twice. Uh, I'm not a big Rob Zombie fan, but I love I love Rob Zombie himself. I think he's interesting. He's a great guy. But he goes on tour and he's got these signs hung, hung all over the backstage saying absolutely no alcohol. 
and you talk to him about it and he's like, yeah, I'm paying these guys to be on tour. This is not a party. This is my job. This is my career. And you can do what you want in your own time. But when you're in the building, you're sober and your job is to get up there and put on a good show. And I, I think that kind of interesting that kind of spills over um, into a lot of touring nowadays. It's, it's okay. big business. Um, it's a lot of money. Um, people aren't ready to just go out and get crazy and, and blow off a show. So you Did don't you, see the, the the debauchery that you read about, like with Van Halen and stuff in the back in the day. We had Joe Tugas on a few weeks ago, and he told a story about having. Um, oh, who did he have on the? Um, for his national brew fest, he had a band come in. The Marshall Tucker Band. Marshall Tucker Band, and the guy got up there and was just bombed, right. and uh, couldn't even perform. Couldn't. I mean, he the band performed, but he was. Gone. He was gone. Yeah, and you like you don't see that. I got a couple. I mean, I had to find <laughs> Rascal Flats. One year was I probably shouldn't name the band, but Rascal mm-hmm. Flats was uh, finishing up their tour in Mankato. One, one year, and the promoter calls me at eleven o'clock. There was a Sunday, and it calls me at eleven o'clock and on Saturday night, saying, "I need to get some strippers for uh, an after-show party for Rascal Flats." It's 11 o'clock. I'm in my pajamas. I'm home with my wife and kids. <laughs> and I get this call that you got to find strippers for Rascal Flats. And, <laughs> you know, and I did it. <laughs> Somehow I pulled it off. You know, I knew a friend who knew a friend who knew a friend and um, pulled it off. But, I mean, try explaining that to your your wife at 11 o'clock at night. Like, it's oh, all I'm, about the business. I'm just calling. Honey, sorry. I'm just calling looking for strippers <laughs> for tomorrow. Um so there's little funny stories like that. I mean, I think, you know, but other than that, it's it's usually, you know, a lot of artists come into town and they're looking for a gym to okay. work out in. Um, a lot of health food on the riders nowadays. Um, a lot of um, people that don't eat this and they don't eat that because mm. of health reasons. It's just, it's it's pretty boring ultimately. Yeah. When you, when you people think it's just crazy rock star stuff going on there and it, it doesn't seem to be that way. Mm. Sorry. That's okay. I That's did okay. freeze. I I did. Uh, my big moment was Joan Chat was here a few years ago with Heart, and I I passed her in the backstage, and I froze like <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't talk. I couldn't I couldn't do anything. I just stood there and pretty much embarrassed myself. And she said, she just smiled at me, which made it even worse, and yeah. just walked right on by. And you know that was my big moment to to tell Joan Jett that hey. Thanks for everything. And you changed everything for me back <laughs> in fifth grade. Yeah, and here I am, like a, like a fool. Yeah, but that concert, um, I interviewed Ann Wilson of Heart for the Free Press in advance of that show, mm-hmm. and it was the worst interview of my career. Really, she had no interest in talking to me. Really, and she made it very clear, and so I think we went about five minutes. Oh, and her quite—it's not her fault. You know, they do these things. They say, okay, Ann. You got 20 reporters, 20 phone calls, and I was probably 18. (laughs) Maybe I was the 20th one, and I could tell she was tired and didn't want to be doing these dumb small-town reporter questions anymore. Right. And and I was kind of like, okay, I'm not going to do this. And part part of me was like, I'm not going to do it to her because she's not having it. So yeah. It was about five minutes with (laughs) Ann Wilson of Heart, who I love. I I love her. Right, right. yeah, but it was a good look at the other side of it when it, it, it's a chore for them to have to do media. I mean, they have to do it. It's they part, do. It's part of their job, um, especially now. They're not. It's not 1977 anymore. And she's not. The band's not what it used to be. Mm-hmm. So they need. They need to do this. They do. And um, it was not a. It was. It was the worst interview I've ever uh, done. That's, that's unfortunate. <laughs> but it's a. See, you got a good story. I did, and I. I didn't. I mean, I was. I, I didn't mind that much because I knew right away that I had a good story. Right. Um, and I, I got maybe one quote. It was like, it was kind of the, it was that thing where you ask a question and you hear the exhale like, oh, okay, I've got, <sighs> she's gotten this question 35 times <laughs> right. in the last two minutes or last two hours. Um, yeah, but anyway. So a few weird questions for you at the end as we wrap up here. We're about, just about done. We're at an hour here. So uh, these are my weird questions that I ask everybody who comes on. Oh, boy. Uh, they're different every time for the most part, but uh, here we go. You ready? I'm ready. Would you rather be four foot five or seven foot seven? 
you know, I, I guess I'd probably rather be seven foot seven. No <laughs> offense to you. <laughs> oh man, I'm not four or five, by the way. <laughs> I'm close, but not not quite. Yeah, I guess I'd have to. I'd rather be. I guess I'd uh, just just so I could see at concerts. That's a real thing, actually. It is. Um, when I go to the varsity, I have to sit on that platform or stand on that platform mm-hmm. because I can't see anything. Yep. If I'm, I'm not in the front row, I got to be on the platform. So. Yeah. Would you rather die in twenty years with no regrets, or die in fifty years with many regrets? Um. I've got regrets. I'll I'll take the I'll take the extra years. Okay. <laughs> Would you rather sell all of your possessions or sell one of your organs? <laughs> um, I don't think I. Other than a couple of guitars that I really like, I I guess I, every, everything's replaceable. So I'd probably sell my possessions. True. Would you rather be balding? <laughs> 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 I want whatever the opposite of this or the other. Balding but fit or overweight with a full head of hair? Well, I'm fat and bald, so I guess. <laughs> oh. um, yeah. I mean, I guess I'd probably rather be overweight with a full head of hair. Okay. My gosh, that's funny. Right. <laughs> you should probably you should have maybe thought that one through before asking me the fat bald guy Eric is not fat just so uh, oh, listeners listeners know he's he's just saying that uh, okay last one would you rather be constantly tired no matter how much sleep you get or constantly hungry no matter what you eat I feel like I'm already always tired anyway so I think I'd probably rather be tired all right well, that's going to do it, Eric. Thank that's you it? very much for coming on. I yeah, th- I just I, had I, those I, few weird questions. I kind of figured you'd, you'd make me cry at some point. No, I no, I just <laughs> break fun, break me down. Fun, have a good time. Uh, friendly chat. So that was that was fun, and thanks for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I feel like I should have gone on longer.